Hello, and welcome to Talent Operations Anonymous, a safe space for process people, data nerds, system savants, and general gluttons for punishment. My name is Kyle Lagunas, Director of Strategy at Beamery, and I'm your host. I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's what you've got. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Today's topic is as big as it gets, influence and execution, Intel's secret to talent transformation. Joining me in this episode are two of the most brilliant people I've had the pleasure to meet, Alin Bailey and Tyler Weeks. Alin is the Talent Acquisition Transformation Manager at Intel. She leads a global team of consultants who work across Intel's recruiting organizations to identify and design talent acquisition strategies to drive adoption of new recruitment capabilities and the integration of new recruitment technologies. Tyler is the head of HR Data Science, where he focuses on driving business impact through storytelling, strategy, and data. His team helps Intel's talent acquisition professionals find and attract the world's best talent through analytics and the latest advances in talent acquisition technology. Together, they drive talent transformation at one of the world's leading technology companies. I've asked them to join me for a discussion of how they make that happen. But rather than talking about specific plans and initiatives they have going on, I wanted to dig into what I think is more relevant, how they affect change through influence. In this conversation, we talk about building trust with stakeholders on the front line and in the C-suite. We talk about inviting people to be a part of the vision for transformation, and we talk about adapting to shifting circumstances. You know, like a global pandemic turning everything you're doing upside down. I hope you're hungry. We're serving up some serious transformation realness today. Check it out. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to Talent Operations Insiders. I am your host, Kyle Lagunas, and today I am joined by two of my favorite people. They have very big minds, and I like to pick their brains. This is getting awkward. I'm going to jump in. <laughs> Lynn, Tyler, welcome on my podcast, which is very expertly produced. <laughs> I'm like, I was excited to be here. Now I'm a little worried. I'm thinking, wait. Not what we signed up for. But. Yeah, I want to eat your brains. The <laughs> brains look delicious. I've awesome. them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to dig in. Will you guys introduce yourselves, Lynn? Maybe we can start with you. Tell us who you are. Sure, absolutely. So my name is Lynn Bailey. I work at Intel along with Tyler. I am in the Global Talent Acquisition Organization, and I have two sides to my role. The first is around kind of understanding what's happening in the talent acquisition space and then how do we apply that to allow Intel to have a competitive advantage? What does that look like? So that's all around transformation. And then the second half of my role is a deep focus in recruitment marketing and understanding. We in particular think that has a particular opportunity space for us. So I go deep in that space and work with the global teams to understand how we execute a, a global vision in that arena. Okay. Thanks, Alain. Tyler? Yeah, Tyler Weeks. I'm a physicist by training that sort of stumbled his way into HR, and now I love to tackle all sorts of problems about people. People are really interesting. Like, you know, electrons don't lie. People do all kinds of crazy stuff, uh, <laughs> which makes them fun to, to look at. So I am the head of HR data science at Intel. And so I'm looking at all sorts of interesting people-related problems, like what makes our company sticky and what, how do people know each other? How do they work together? and What makes a person productive? Yeah, I'm interested in these problems too, which is why I have you guys here, a couple of nerds, gluttons for punishment, but also folks that do like to think about complex problems instead of shying away from them. 
You know, what's really interesting, of course, I know you two on a personal level, but it wasn't until I was preparing for this episode that I really looked into your backgrounds more extensively. And I was surprised to see the diverse backgrounds that you have. I mean, it is more common that we see people in talent acquisition leadership in HR transformation who don't come through like a traditional recruiter HR background. But Alin, you have actually studied like family relations, right? And spent mm -hmm. half your career in learning and development. And then Tyler, as you said, you have a PhD in data science. And now here you are playing with some of the most complex and probably confounding data in the world. And together, you guys are trying to solve this elusive concept of a fully optimized talent function. What the hell are you doing here? If only we knew, right? If only we knew. You know, I think it's interesting that you talk about kind of going back and looking at the work that we've done that got us to this space, because I think you're right. A lot of people come at this from, from lots of different angles. I've had a long and varied career, which I'm not going to go into because it's a long and winding tale for another day. But its highlights do include a background in early childhood education and teaching teachers for a very long time and then working in the L&D spaces that came into the corporate world. But as I evolved throughout my career, there was always this underpinning of how humans interact with each other, how they interact with their environment and the systems around them. And, and how does that then create things, right? It could be all sorts of things. And that's really always been the, been the case. There was a long stint there around user experience, which led to, to thinking about experience design and thinking primarily about employees. I started looking at employees and employee experience, you know, before my experience got really cool and hot and like everybody's talking about it now, like 10 years ago, I was all into it and nobody cared. <laughs> before anybody was making money doing it? Yeah, exactly. Nobody cared about it. So I stopped and started working um, and looking at candidates and candidate experience, which has kind of led me into this space. Tyler, what drew you in? So I came to Intel to do research and development, and I, I worked on Moore's Law for the first five years at Intel. And I actually loved it. I loved what I was doing. It was really intense. It was co close to the core of Intel's business. And really kind of Intel's mark on, on history is, is, is Moore's Law. I won't go into that, what that is here, but you can Google it for all the people in the audience. One of the things I loved in grad school was working with VCs and entrepreneurs. I was at this lab that was we were kind of at the cross-section of innovation and business. I spent a lot of time like networking with startups and folks in the business school. My lab, even though I was a physicist, my lab was at our medical center. So I was at UC Davis. It was actually at the hospital. It was always interdisciplinary. It was always working across boundaries. It was always like coming up with like new ideas that like either side independent hadn't actually tackled. And I really missed that. And I really wanted to get into more business problems, but nothing on my resume said business, right? It was very like <laughs> technical. And there's no reason anybody should have ever trusted me to do anything. So I spent quite a bit of time kind of rebranding myself, moonlighting at a local startup here, and really just kind of like trying to figure out how to kind of work my way into the, the kind of the other side of the coin. And I found this position in town acquisition through some networking, kind of a friend of a friend, for a role that we called a, a global account manager. So basically, I own all of the recruiting for Intel's manufacturing, which is about a third of the company. It was this huge role with like, this is a massive 
amount of responsibility. And somebody was like, yeah, you could probably do it. <laughs> and so they took, a, they took a huge risk on me. And I'm really grateful to this person that took a risk on me to, to, to do that. But it was the learning curve was just steep. It wasn't technical mm-hmm. at all. This wasn't a data role. This was an analyst role. This was like straight talent acquisition. And I had a lot to learn. Like I, mm-hmm. I spent that entire year really just learning the business of talent acquisition. And so we kind of had an opportunity that at the end of that year where our analytics function really needed a reset. And I had become kind of this weird unicorn where I understood talent acquisition, like at a fundamental level, but I also had this strong background. And then from there, once that kind of clicked, kind of the light bulb went on. I was like, oh, this is the thing. Like, this is the thing. And, and yeah. so I've been just wholeheartedly diving into that. I love it. I don't regret making that weirdo change at all. So. <laughs> well, you're in good company. Actually, one of the taglines for the show is this is a safe space for all those gluttons for punishment. Putting ourselves in a place where it's frustrating work, that there's a lot of friction, a lot of fundamental challenges to be solved. We're glad to have you here. Alin, one thing that's really interesting to me, if I tie a thread through some of your background, you really are leaning in on relationships, relational issues. If you look at child and family counseling, if you look at training trainers, if you look at the employee experience, now here at the candidate experience, a lot of it really is about like bringing two stakeholders together and helping them to understand one another more. I feel like that is not a skill that you can learn. I feel like that is just something that you have innately. Would you agree with that? I think you have an innate interest that kind of heads that direction or you don't, right? This kind of innate desire to want to understand what drives other people to behave the way that they are, right? It's like an innate curiosity. It's the same curiosity that makes me want to understand how usage models work inside systems, right? I mean, I have been spending my life trying to understand why people said the thing they said, what it is that they might be thinking, trying to anticipate what that might be like, and understand how you can drive that experience. I love it. It brings us to this concept of insiders versus outsiders and the role that you play in managing many different stakeholder expectations and priorities because you're both outsiders, I would say. And yet here you are actually looking at how we can fully optimize the talent acquisition function, the global operation at Intel. So as outsiders, what do you think from your diverse backgrounds has helped you to do this more effectively than somebody who might've come in through the rank and file? I think... One of the things that makes us, or, or at least in my experience, has made it been an advantage is when you come from the outside and you're an observer looking in, you are more willing to try and ask why certain things are happening, right? Why did we make that choice? Why did that action happen? Why are you doing this? I'm less reliant on my experience to tell me why those things are happening there's a tendency to see those things easier, to to kind of find those natural connections, to try and connect people and why they're doing things in in different ways. So that's been an advantage, I think. The disadvantage is, though, then to convince people that you're still seeing what what they're doing is valuable and that you still see the value in them, even though you're asking them and oftentimes to change what they're doing, right? So Mm. there's a push and pull that happens there. Yeah, I think as an outsider, you see fewer things as sacred, right? Like nothing is is sort of off the table in terms of what 
could change. As the outsider, it's my burden to become an insider. Hmm. I, I think there may be an advantage to coming in from the outside. There's no advantage to remaining on the outside. I invest a lot of time talking to and connecting with recruiters, learning the language, learning to be fluent and sound like a native when I talk about these things so that we can connect. If I don't know the things that they're frustrated about and I'm listing off a bunch of frustrations they don't have, they automatically will dismiss everything else I say. So I've got to be able to like correctly identify where their frustrations are or what makes them an expert. Yeah. They want to be the expert. That's one thing I've gotten from them. So solutions that replace them or somehow talking about, hey, we're going to go get this system and it's going to, it's an AI for recruiting and it's going to solve all of our recruiting problems by finding the best candidates. No recruiter wants that. Right. <laughs> they want that outcome, right? But they don't want to be disintermediated from that outcome. Right. They want to be directly impacting that themselves. Exactly. exactly. So that, that's really interesting because... One of you had said to me that, you know, brilliant people who couldn't build trust and thus weren't successful in the scope of this kind of work where you're driving transformation across multiple stakeholder groups. And so if I look at trying to build more trust with the recruiter stakeholder group, when it comes to transformation, you're trying to communicate strategy and share initiatives. Are you just telling them what you're doing or are you inviting them to be a part of it? Both depending upon where you're at, right? So, and I'm being very authentic as I say this, right? I think that people who are going to be impacted by change or are going to have to embody that change in some way should feel as though they are part of making that happen, right? Mm. So it's incumbent upon you as the person who's trying to drive and, and lead into that space or, or move into that space to give them the opportunity to have their voice heard and in an authentic way, right? I mean, the people can see through the fake feedback circle. Yeah, right. On the flip side, what I will also say is, and I've learned this through some bad moves on my part, right? Although I think it's good to point towards a conceptual vision of where that is, giving people too much runway of how you're going to get there can be hard because yeah. the biggest thing that can happen, what will always happen is that runway of how you think you're going to get there in 18 months, the different steps that you think are going to happen, the changes that you think will occur in that process will not happen the way you intended them to, or something right. will alter. And each of those little tweaks starts to feel like a break in trust, a break in promise. Yeah. You told me this was going to happen. Sure. The other thing I would say there is that like, if you call a plumber today, there's a good chance your plumber is still using paper invoices, right? Not because that is efficient or better, but it's because it's the way he's always done it. He's comfortable with that. Now, if you wanted to make your measure of success that every plumber was going to use your new app for tracking their work and, and managing their bills, you would never be successful. In my mind, I, I think Finding those people that have been doing this a long time who are really good at it, and maybe they've got some system they've built in Excel. It's some sort of like, you know, mix of Excel sheets and an Outlook inbox folders. And they've got some system that they've been using for 20 years. They're never going to go change that. It doesn't matter what system you put in. That's the thing that they're going to use. But those are the people I like to pull in to understand how they do their job. Tell me, mm -hmm. why are you doing this? Because they have thought through 
this system, and they have very good reasons why they have folders that are labeled this. They have very good reasons why they have these worksheets in their Excel file. And when they move somebody to this place versus that place, understanding how they do their work, those people are invaluable. They're not the same people that you want to pull in for adopting, right? Like they're not the person that's going to go use the new tool, but they can sure give you the language that's going to go help connect with the people that they've sure. been training for the last 10 years. So you can say, hey, look, you know, you know, when you try to do this, here's a tool that will help you do that. It's not a one size fits all. It's, it's kind of identifying the right people for the right parts of the task. Sure. That makes good sense. And I think that that's one of the critical aspects of successful transformation is understanding who you need to influence to drive the outcomes that you have set out for yourselves. That I mean, in understanding your stakeholders also informs your measures of success. But you have to influence more than just recruiters on the front line, right? You guys are operating in a global environment that's incredibly complex with some competing priorities, I imagine. Let's talk about influencing peers. What are some things that you have found to be especially important as you're trying to drive change in technology stacks, in recruiting paradigms or hiring culture, et cetera? Alcohol? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, now let's let's just hold, let's just park it there for a yeah, second. Okay. Now, what type of alcohol <laughs> and for whom? All depends. You have to know your different audiences there. Everybody likes a different brand. Different stakeholders have different preferences, whether it be to what they want to drink or, or what they want to hear. You know, if some stakeholders want to talk about cost and efficiency as the driver, then my job is to show them how in my vision they get cost and efficiency. And if mm-hmm. I do it in a, in a good enough way, they'll, they'll get on board and go with it. You'll never hear me get up on the stage and talk about cost and efficiency to a group of change leaders in talent acquisition because I think that's like the worst idea in the world. But I have a lot of stakeholders who think that's an awesome idea and that's what it yeah. should all out. And I don't spend any more time trying to convince them it's not. Instead, I try to show them how they'll get that. Don't worry. Yeah, sure. Tyler, what about you? Yeah. On some level, I find a lot of utility and just really concise wordsmithing. I like to have alliteration. I like to have sets of three. So we're going to go do these three things. And I like to make sure that it's something that people can remember. Making these things memorable you know, having these mantras, Lynn's shaking her head because we've done this successfully is having a series of mantras and just using the shit out of those mantras, just nonstop. Yeah. People actually start to give them back to you. And the second yeah. they start giving those mantras back to you, you know that you're kind of like building some momentum. It's sort of like echolocation. You can sort of like send these pings out and then like people yep. start. Kind well, of give me an example. Give me a mantra. What's, what's your mantra this week? My mantra this week, I don't have my one this week. Do you got one yeah. of my one oh, of yeah. one? We've had three I have been working from for the last four years. They have been the same and I haven't altered from them. Pipelines over wrecks, yeah. data yeah. over gut, quality over volume. Now we can get into deeper, cooler ones. Tyler made them sound a whole lot cooler. Than the thing. But at the end of the day, every single meeting I'm in for years, I wouldn't leave until I, I would find some way to say one of those things. Huh. Yeah, and actually, one of them I, I've already used on you in here, as I said, the uh, the system is not the goal. That's right. So when I took leadership of this AI platform we were bringing in, everybody wanted to bring in an AI platform. And I very quickly made the entire program about recruiting and how we make sourcing more efficient. And 
I said, the system is not the goal. And I repeated that over and over and over again. And that kind of became the mantra. This is not about a system. This is about talent acquisition. And that was very effective. Like people started kind of parroting that and like giving it back to me, maybe even in their own words. So that's very practical, but very effective. And even some of those hard stakeholders will start using it. <laughs> they will. They won't even know what it means. And they're using the word. And they're, they're like right in there. With you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I like about it, actually, is that it invites them to fill in the, the blanks, right? The system is not the goal. Well, then they, you're telling them what it's not. Then they can think about what it is. Okay, well, right. what is the goal? Well, the goal for me is this or what have you. It creates an open framework for them to contribute ideas. Right. So I really like this notion. What about success? Talk to me a little bit about how you measure success yeah. of transformation. You know, um, here's another little mantra for you. If you can't measure it, no one can prove you didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> now you sound like HR. Welcome. Yeah. He's only used that like 300 times on me. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the point is, is that there are a lot of mandates that come from above that there is no way to go measure that you did it. You know, we want a better culture at our company. Okay. We need to deliver candidates to hiring managers faster. One is very measurable. One is one that like we can look at, we can trend how we've been doing. We could go put in things and we could test new ways to go attack that and get better at it. One is so squishy that like even if someone, if someone could totally do like an emperor's new clothes type thing and say, hey, look, we changed culture. Hooray. Hooray. Like, <laughs> let's have a party now. <laughs> so it's a party. Helping leaders understand the difference and helping them position themselves for success. Okay, okay, like you want to attack culture and you want to attack how quickly we're delivering hiring managers. Here's the plan for this one and here's how we can go measure it. So here's how I recommend you talk to your boss this way. This one we can't actually measure. So what do you want to start doing now that highlights where our culture is succeeding? 100%. I also like the concept, Tyler, because it is a really great way to provide guidance to people on what we should be like applying ourselves to. I would say there are some things that are not, you can't get a hard quant measurement for, but that doesn't mean they're not worth pursuing. Sure. We don't have any shortage of good ideas in HR and recruiting. The shortage is on, in execution, right? The, the shortage is actually quantifying that the efforts that we make are having an impact. Right. And we're not just doing them to do them. Right. Right. It is about having a vision or a strategy, knowing what you want at the end and knowing what combination of those quantifiable things can get you there. So when somebody comes to you and gives you the big thing and you need to break it down into little pieces, how do you know what little pieces to break it down into? Right. And how do you connect those dots? It sounds like you guys have really good perspective on how to frame up what you're trying to accomplish. You have a pretty good perspective on how to get the stakeholders up and down on board. What obstacles have you run into? What are some challenges that you face? Shifting priorities happens all the time, right? Is that your business group is going to shift ideas or priorities? You know, transformation, this is kind of goes to wanting to call it done, right? A lot of the things that we work on, these big transformative things, and things even from an operational perspective, when you're trying to put them into place, they take a long time to come to fruition. How many times you're going to have to go through the process of starting from scratch to validate or build your business case? Hmm. The idea that you're going to build it once and then get approval and then just move forward as if this was a very linear process plan or project plan is not accurate in the real world. 
in the real world, you're going to go, I know, shock. You're going to go back over and over again and have to articulate your value proposition. That means that it has to adapt and evolve then, right? right? I mean, because you're, 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 your challenge is to make sure that the shifting priorities and circumstances don't completely derail what you've been working towards. Right, right. Well, I think that's the difference between a project plan and a strategy plan right? Mm. A strategy plan has a bigger thing in mind, a bigger goal or objective in mind that you're headed towards that can have different paths that can allow you to get to it. A project plan is more linear. It is, these are the things that I'm going to do to do it. And those things, those steps are the things that are going to change throughout the process. This sort of work is not linear at all. The minute you really start to work in a change framework or really start to drive transformation in your organization, you realize a lot of those strategies that you have about kind of managing process and time and resources and deliverables has to become so much more flexible and fluid than it's been before for you. Because mm. from day to day, the winds will shift. I don't know if you've had that experience, Tyler. I'm guessing I know you have. but One of the things that's been successful for us is differentiating between project management and program ownership. The mistake that people often make is they take very successful project managers and they make them program owners. And it's not always the case. There's some that are very good at this, but they end up being kind of like boats without sails. Like they've got all this like rigging and ropes and like a lot of people sweating a lot, but they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have a direction. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. That's a great metaphor. Right. And what happens with projects and when people are thinking about this work, like in a project frame, right? Again, they start looking for that beginning, middle and end, right? It doesn't end. It iterates, it changes, it evolves, it goes to the next place. There's a further step to it. That's part of that challenge I talked about when I said you're not always telling everybody the full 10, 15 steps that you're going to need to take. Right. The consequence of that is, is everybody wants that sense of completion. So they get to that end and they go, oh, done, right? And you have to let them live there in it for a little while until they realize, oh, it didn't actually get what they wanted yet. They still have to do more and then they'll come back. Yeah. In some of our conversations before, we talked about uh, House of Cards. I I, I think about this a lot. (laughs) Do not misinterpret this. Frank Underwood is clearly the villain in this show. I am not condoning any of his he's a sociopath Tyler he's a uh, sociopath I am not aspiring to be Frank Underwood (laughs) however one thing that he does really well in that show is like the reason there's a show is that he's got this plan this like big plan and every episode is really that something goes wrong with the plan like somebody new Mm. shows up there's a new like geopolitical issue there's something unexpected happens that changes the rules and rather than kind of throw his hands up and be like, and give up or just try to charge ahead with like his plan from yesterday, he stands at the window all night and smokes. And in the morning, he's got a new plan based on what the board looks like now. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the patience, you know, like that's my moment on the couch with the beer where I'm just kind of like, yeah, all right, the board has changed. It's a new game. How do I win? How do I get us there now? Yeah. It's tireless work. And I think that if I look at the talent operations function, it's full of people who are working tirelessly behind the scenes to continuously adapt their project or their program 
as the rules change themselves, as the board changes, you know, as priorities shift, as global pandemics come and turn everything upside down, there has to be a certain tenacity, a tirelessness that helps make them successful. Well, as we wrap up here, I would love to know, one of the things we have here at Beamery is North Stars. Uh, the things that if we are talking about, like the system is not the goal, the North Star is. What would you guys say if you look at the mandate for your roles and for your shared responsibilities or individual goals, whatever, what would you say is, is your North Star? What is it that's going to guide you? Even with the board changes, what's the one thing that you'll hold true? I think Tyler has done a really good job of crafting our organizational North Star as we move to it. So I'm going to let him share it and then I'm going to follow it up with the and. Okay. So we actually did this bit of exercise. We were going through transformation. We felt a little bit directionless and we were getting a little frustrated because people weren't really catching the vision of what we were going for. So if I contributed anything besides superfluous PowerPoint slides, one thing was probably helping kind of formulate this North Star of stepping back and looking at it and going, what's something that we can all get behind that everyone would be like excited about? So the North Star we set and the organization is still marching towards this. Can we deliver the candidate a manager will hire within 24 hours? That doesn't mean that it's a 24-hour time to fill because you have interviews, you've got negotiations, you've got, you know, like all that time. It's like, it's probably still going to be like 45 days. but Basically, we knew before they even asked who they would want to hire. We had them ready to go. Could we do that? And what would that take? And we have started, I think, almost every conversation with that thought exercise. And it's amazing that when you pick the right North Star, people's intuition that have been doing this for a long time takes them exactly to the problem statements we want them to be thinking about. Well, I can't do that because I don't have X, Y, Z. Great. I'm glad you brought those up. Yeah. Here's what we would like to go solve today. And it has worked every single time. It has always brought the conversation back to the right spot. I would say really quick too, I, I, you know, you asked about personal North Stars. I'd say my personal North Star is I just want to have fun. Like if it's not fun, like I just don't care. So I want to go work on fun things. What the and hell so, are you doing in HR? Though? Oh my yeah. God. It's fun. Like I've found a thing that's fun and that's really important to me to to make sure the thing that I'm working on is fun and that the people yeah. that are working on it with me feel that fun. Like I want them to feel like it's fun to be there. It might be hard. We might be eating shit every day, but like it's fun. It's Peter Pan leading the lost boys through the wilderness. No, <laughs> no you're right. Exactly. It should, it should be interesting and intriguing, right? If it's not, what's, what's the point of doing it? It should yeah. be in the boundaries and doing something new. I'm right with Tyler. That's actually one of the reasons Tyler and I bonded in the very beginning. We were both sitting on the sidelines saying, I'm not going to do that like task thing over there. That, doesn't, <laughs> that sounds boring. I could care less how that system configuration is going to look. That's stupid. <laughs> right? And right. So, I think that's a common piece to it. I'm going to add my and to your North Star piece. One of the things that is a problem with talent acquisition and talent management as a whole is that we function at a very transactional level and that people are dynamic, not static. Jobs themselves are dynamic and not static. That's why people like Tyler and I can constantly figure out a way to do something interesting and intriguing 
nobody wrote a job description saying this is what our jobs were going to be, right? We, we evolved into them. And so I really see our opportunity to be able to move to a place where we can start to look at how we manage talent and manage engagement for the lifetime of someone's career, whether they're with us someplace else or wherever. Once we have a relationship, how that relationship stays whole and, and to the benefit of all. So look, it's like sunshine and roses. Yeah, but it's also a perfect bookend to like your introduction. You know, a lot of your career has drawn you to interpersonal relationships. And that's a part of your guiding light through this project too, or through this step. Well, this is really cool. I, I literally could talk to you guys all day. And in fact, we've already spent so many hours just getting ready for this one. <laughs> but thank you for, for bringing it and for challenging us. I'm going to have to find out what other mantras you guys have, because these ones are already starting to stick. I'm going to have to start coming up with my own. <laughs> the best way to get mantras developed by Tyler is to take him <laughs> to some foreign country and sit him in an Irish pub. and Specifically start- an Irish pub. It's always an Irish pub when we're working. and They're everywhere. Yeah, exactly. You can get some really um, great mantras. But uh, yeah, we have, a whole, we have a whole set of them. Get your seat backs up and in the ready position. What, what? We'll give you some more later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. Next time we'll do this over drinks in an Irish pub, apparently. Get yes. the ideas flowing. All right, cool. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, guys. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Talent Operations Anonymous. I hope you learned something about the role influence plays in driving talent transformation. I certainly did. Alin, Tyler, you're brilliant. Thanks for being a part of the show. I'll see the rest of you next time. Bye. I love you. Bye.